The concept of voluntary poverty. A distinctive feature of modern times is the extent to which we tend to devote our brief lives to making or aspiring to make money. We worry as we approach the end of our uh, education, we worry throughout our working years and we worry in retirement. A large part of mental life is made up of anxious thoughts about a financial position. However, it's important to note that our worry about money is in most countries at this point in history, typically disconnected from any issues of survival. We could keep going as almost everyone who ever lived has done on much less than we have. What drives us to accumulate a psychological necessity, not a material one? We are under the sway of powerful cultural force. Our sense of being able to think well of ourselves has become equated with our ability to generate an impressive income. Earning healthy sums isn't so much partially important as emotionally significant. It's grown to be our chief maker of decency. We operate with the background conviction that a failure to make money could only arise from some part of moral and metaphysical inadequacy. Poverty would have to be a sign that someone was too unreliable, self-indulgent, timid, irresponsible or stupid to thrive in a marketplace. And yet history reveals plenty of highly instructive examples of people who made self-conscious, deliberate, unapologetic decisions to embrace a modest income. In the name of other goals, people who pulled off the feet of managing to think well of themselves despite being poor. They were followers of a concept known as voluntary poverty. If the term sounds paradoxical or even perverse, it is because our own era has difficult imagining that anyone could ever sanely enter into a voluntary relationship with something as appalling as having little money. We can only picture ourselves as having to bravely to put up with poverty, never as opting for it if there was so much as the slightest element of choice. History suggests that something different, the outstanding representation of voluntary poverty is classical times was the Roman statement Lucius Convictus Secanitus, in honor of whom the U.S. city of Cincinnati is named. Cincinnatus came from a prestigious but impoverished family. He had a very successful public career, but being honorable and very honest, had never made any money out of his service. Then, tiring of the shabby deals and devious self-seeking of his colleague, he had retired early to a small farm where he worked his own land and egged out a modest living. The normal Cincinnati's bare-chested wait up whether to remain a farmer or head back to politics. At this point, Rome was still a republic, but a far from mighty one. In 458 BC, as had once happened before, one of the neighboring tribes launched a major invasion that threatened to inhalate the state. In desperation, a government envoy was dispatched to Cincinnatus, begging him to return to Rome, adopt unlimited power, and see off the threat. Cincinnatus was surprised in the fact of plowing his field bare-chested. He thought of the offer for a few minutes, weighing up a longing for a quiet agricultural drive against the urgent needs of his nation and then again his wife Resilia to fetch his toga from a cupboard in his simple cottage. He accepted the role of temporary dictator and rapidly succeeded in repelling the attack on Rome. Giving this tramp everything was now open to him since Anatus could have held upon his position as dictator and accumulated pawnless wealth. But this was not his way. He loved his family and his life as a farmer far too much. So he resigned and returned home to his plough 
and his few acres. He chose voluntary poverty over luxury and grandeur. What motivated Cincinnatus was an intelligent and discerning sense of what truly brought him contentment, marble palaces and Gold might have carried prestige, but when Cincinnatus examined his subjective source of pleasure, he realized that what actually satisfied him was getting up early in the morning to water his oxen, watching his fields slowly ripen and chatting with his wife and children after physically exhausting but rewarding days under the sun. Cincinnatus' endured legacy was to be a man of opportunity who took the trouble to realize that there were things he loved more than money. In modern times, in a very different arena, the Canadian artist Agnes Martin similarly discovered that she had greater concerns than the pursuit of wealth. After college, rather than seeking property paid in employment, Martin began an itinerant life, firstly in New York and then in the deserts of New Mexico. There she built herself largely by her own hands, a tiny mud house where she dwelt in most austere way, wearing only the roughest clothes, subsisting on a bare diet of cheese and fruit and paying no attention at all to money, devoting herself instead to producing some of the simplest and most beautiful works of art ever made. Ironically, by the end of her life, Martin had accumulated enormous sums through her paintings, each of which sold for a few million dollars, but she couldn't care less. A threat for her was to head to a local diner to have an omelette with a friend. It wasn't so much that Martin hated money, just that she had discovered something that was far more precious to her than material accumulation. The gentle tranquility of mind that she experienced when creating canvases made up of repeated rhythmic patterns and lines against colored background, delicate pencil marks, inspersed with bands of muted pinks or blues. A preoccupation with money feels highly respectable. But it has a poignant and unexpected cause. We keep wanting more money than we need and would be extension feel deeply embarrassed about having to rely on old clothes or a simple house because we haven't as yet identified a passion that could matter to us sufficiently to replace money making in our minds. We haven't found that farming was a Cincinnatus or painting was to Martin. We haven't yet discovered the real reason why we are alive. It's not that we don't have such reason. They are inside us and always have been. We carry a range of authentic legions for which we could, in theory, give up so much of our financial appetite. Passions are not only for a few highly unusual individuals. We all have them and used to engage with them when we were small children. It's not that we don't have such reasons. They are inside us and always have been. We carry a range of authentic allegiance for which we could, in theory, give up so much as our financial appetite. Passions are not only for a few highly unusual individuals. We all have them and used to engage with them when we were small children and knew how to play. It's just that the prevailing ideology of modernity doesn't invite us to work out what our real love might be. Nothing in our education system allows us to imagine that discovering a few things that matter more than money is the root of genuine contentment and freedom. It's understandable that if we get nervous about untethering ourselves even to a limited extent from conventional views about money and our worth as individuals, it's painfully normal to be terrified of how others will react if we cannot generate a standard respectable answer to the question, what do you do? We have learned to doubt our right to lead the kinds of life we long for and deserve. Our standard resignation suggests that path we would need to take to free ourselves, the clearer we can be 
in our mind about our true passion the more we can start to see money and the socially sanctioned praise it brings with us from a more realistic perspective money is a mechanism or a means that at best enables us to do the things we love nothing more or less it does not or should not be a road to liking ourselves more or an end in itself we will be able to choose poverty voluntarily we will be able to freely to forego luxuries comforts and prestige of being purpose once we focus our lives on what authentically matters to us we fall out of love with money the more we learn to fall in love with something else farming music service writing god quiet evenings at home or the painting of slow delicate lines across pale pink canvases